Guys, welcome back to the Mind Make Podcast. Hey, uh, I wanted to do a throwback episode this week, or for for this episode, I should say, um, because a lot of the stuff we spoke about in the show is just so pertinent given the times. And uh, look, this guest needs no introduction. He is the great man, Osher Ginsberg, uh, which uh, everyone from Australia knows, um, and uh, a lot of people outside of Australia as well. He's a TV presenter, he's an author, uh, his book, Back After the Break, very deep, about his times and his trials and tribulations in dealing with mental health issues, um, addiction, psychosis, all this sort of stuff, and and finding a sense of identity, um, you know, from, you know, beneath all the rubble. And yeah, like, like I said in the beginning of the, of, of the intro, it's so pertinent because one of the things he talks about is he says that... In the same way, you don't just accidentally get on the front cover of Men's Health magazine. You don't just accidentally attain adequate mental health. It takes work, you know. It's something that we have to do um, and 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 give time to, like a like a like a, a well tended garden every single day, you know. And health, obviously, physical health and mental health, you know, all these different facets of health just overlap into each other. So what is your diet like? You know, what is your exercise routine like? What is your sleep like? What are your social connections like? Do you have goals? All of this stuff is just, just pumping into, you know, 1% is leading to this overall total of how actually healthy you feel about yourself, how you feel about who you are as a person. Do you look in the mirror and are you proud? What do people say about you? Are your friends willing to tell you the truth? This very practical perspective of mental health, I think, is so important, and I'm finding a lot in my in my my professional work in therapy that people are continuing to misinterpret the practicality perspective of mental health. You know, it's like, do I just need to do this, or I just need to do this? And it's we need progress that ensues. We need to find a sense of routine where we are allocating the time to ourselves to make ourselves better. better. And like I said before, it is physical health. You know, it's not just a meditation and a walk. It's, it's doing challenging things, um, thinking of a better life, you know, a six month vision for our lives, all this sort of stuff. So I really hope you enjoyed the show guys. And, uh, as always, I love you all. We're here. Yes. We're here. Where in the world are you? Mate, I'm in France at the moment. It's bloody, bloody cold. It's beautiful though. It's the first time I've ever been here. What do you, what takes you there? Well, we um we we stopped working in Bali. Um and we just kind of wanted it we we're moving into a bit of a career change and we wanted to um well, we, we wanted to try to find a place essentially that um, could deal with the uh, financial capabilities at the time. So we um, we found uh, Trusted House Sitters, which is a really cool website, and you basically can jump around and, and house sit for people. It's pretty self-explanatory. And um, we found this beautiful place in, in, in France, and um, Siobhan can, can ride horses and I can speak French. So it was just like a really cool way. It's like a farm out here. So it worked well and we're just sitting here and get to write and uh, get to uh, speak some Francais and eat some baguettes. No no part, no pun intended. Trébillon. Yes, very, very bien. Trébillon. Yep. In very fact, bien. a whole lot of biens. No, no, that's, that's <laughs> a whole lot of bien, yeah. 
Um, I was out riding with my mate Luke Heggy this morning, who's a, a stand-up, and um, I've known him since I was eight. I'm very grateful for that. Um, but he, his wife is French, and he speaks hey. fluent French. He's a stand-up comic, and um, you know his kind of persona on stage is uh, he does a lot of construction work. Yeah. So his persona on stage is kind of like a, a very well-read tradesman. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, so he, he, you know, puts a bit of mayo on it, speaks with a bit of a drawl. Yeah. Which is what you he's need. Very clever man. He's got he's got two masters degrees. He's a very very clever man. Yeah. Jeez. And I was with him in Paris once. And uh, I was like, yeah, mate, check that out. La, 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 la. And someone says, oh, I mean, monsieur. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And he just went, boo. And he went straight into, um, uh, you know, French and didn't miss a beat. And giving directions, no Google Maps go like, and if anyone's ever been to Paris, it's a freaking rabbit warren. Yes. Yeah. You know, they're a product of the Enlightenment, but they were not enlightened about the street design. And it's, it's like, I am second on the left, and then you go past the statue of the pigeon, and then stop hearing, like, blah, 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 car, blah, 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 hotel, blah, 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 statue. Go up to, like, a few words here and there. I'm just listening to him describe it. I wish I were bilingual. I'm only monolingual. Yeah, yeah. That's it. I could say, um, Yes, no, please, and thank you. And I'm vegan in a few different languages, but that's about it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. What about Hebrew? Can you can and you speak? Toilet. Oh yeah, well that's the most important one. Yeah. I just can't say that in English. <laughs> oh yes. Do you know that was that's really interesting. I, I went to um, Mexico, and that was the only thing I learnt in in in. I used to say Mexican. That was terrible. I mean, in Spanish as well. I just be I, it's uh, well, it was what you just said. But I remember the banos part. And, um, yeah. geez, that got me out of a lot of issues. <laughs> yeah, Montezuma's Revenge. Yeah, it was good. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, so how's, how's the podcast going? Good? Mate, it's going, it's going really well. Um, it's, uh, it's obviously just um, a slow plug, but obviously, like yourself, it's, it's great just to... Um, it's just really fun to get to speak to people, you know, and, um, yeah, just to open up about it. And um, my, my podcast is not... I mean, necessarily, it's got kind of like a, a three thing about the mental health side and spirituality and, and the and the authenticity approach. But um, I guess kind of every podcast is about that, really, just getting to know someone and, and having a chat. And, and um, I don't have any sort of frame of reference because I've not done a whole lot of TV. I've been on Neighbours a few times. I was in Miss Fisher Murders, actually, and uh, I was on Glitch as well. Deliberately? Were you deliberately in Neighbours? <laughs> well, I was on... I mean, I was. I was extra. I was an extra. But, I mean, I, I, went, for the, I went for the food, let's be honest. <laughs> this is an authentic podcast. <laughs> Mate, let's let's be honest. Uh, craft services when it comes to drama production is no joke. <sighs> it is no joke. My God, uh, re- not the same with reality. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, when it comes to drama production, if they don't have the food on point, uh, yeah, man, it's, it's good. It's, it's good. unbelievable. We were on holidays in uh, we were on holidays in Hawaii a couple weeks back, and. Um, my kid is obsessed with Hawaii Five O, <laughs> and we um, through mates of a mate and a friend of a friend and an email here and a few texts there and some hustle and some luck, we managed to get on set and have a oh. visit. And there's there's coffee carts and there's that water and there's room temperature or there's ice water or there's Evian <laughs> or there's Fiji water or you know what's your your celiac? We heard your celiac. Can we make you something? Yeah. Uh, no, I'm good. No, I'll just. Take coffee and we'll just watch. Yeah, that's right. It's extraordinary. (laughs) We'll have some of that 90 degree room temperature water, please, if that's all right. (laughs) This water's 87 degrees. 
Oh, this is ridiculous. <laughs> I know. Get me out of here. Yeah. Get me in my trailer. This is... You'd never get this in Australia. <laughs> nah, hell no. I got... um. You were saying before about the scooter in Bali. This is like on the... Oh, God. This would have been like the third last day. We were driving, as you do, driving illegally. I can say this. It's an authentic podcast. I made that joke twice, but we'll, we'll keep it in there. And um, obviously... So I just I just took a wrong turn. It, it was literally right, and then after three seconds, having realised that I'd gone down a wrong way, turned right back in, but got pulled over by a cop. And obviously, I didn't have the um, license, so just sneaky little thing here and there, and moved on. But it's it's a weird system over there, you know. It's weird. It makes you. It's weird. It's it kind of makes you appreciate a little bit more of the uh, the laws we have in place. You know, there are some some parts of Bali where it's just, this is just incredible. It's just, like a, it's just like a party scene and I can do whatever I want. And then there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. And um, specific things, you know, I'm, I'm happy that we have uh, we have laws here for them, you know? <laughs> I, um, I was quite affected by that trip to Bali. All right. Audrey. Um, in, in a number of ways, but particularly around that. Um, there's a bar in Changu, which you'll know the name mm. of, uh, it's called Pretty Poison. Oh, yeah. And um, it's at the other end of a death trap of a road, which is utterly terrifying <laughs> to, to ride your scooter down. But you can go into a bar and watch old school skate videos projected onto the wall behind you. Um, while in front of you there's an actual skate bowl in the backyard with people ringed right around it. People will session and skateboards will fly out at your head, no problem. And you could get a tattoo in the corner uh, of this bar if you wanted. And what I love about that is that, as you mentioned, it's personal responsibility. It's mm. like, oh, you went out last night, you got wasted and you got a matching tattoo with someone that you'd known for 15 minutes and then copped the skate deck to the face? <laughs> okay. Great. Did you walk in there? Yeah. Did you the- see all that stuff on the way in? <laughs> Who's that on? I know. And it just made me think about, with a bit of sadness, Tom, it made me think about, in Australia at least, we have so many laws in place. Um, the choice to take a risk is taken away from us Mm. and what are we losing what are we losing as a culture when it comes to ideas business ideas uh uh, ideas within our community because we've never learned to take a risk we've never learned we've never oh okay can't do that but there's a great reward if the risk you know is 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 worth it and Mm. it did make did make me a little bit of a bummer I was mm. like what have we missed out on by breeding an entire nation of people that have never had responsibility true personal responsibility you know on their shoulders mm. um, uh, you know what are we missing out on as a culture uh, as far as ideas go around what might be in the end really good ideas for our, our society so anyway, true then I got back on my stupid scooter and rode back up <laughs> then you got a tattoo what they call a, ye- what they call a yellow brick road which is a Probably the most terrifying thing I've ever ridden or driven on in my life. Was that the? Was that the? Um, there was that concrete skate park you were talking about. Uh, that was in the back of the pub, back of the bar. Yes. All right, and then there was this. There was this road, this shortcut between. Shortcut, yeah. And, <laughs> and 
not Seminyak. Um, no, well, on one side of Changu yep. and the other, yep. there's a shortcut between there that was originally only supposed to be for scooters and bicycles, but it ended up that locals just pulled the bollards out and now cars just bang up and down it. Yeah. Um, it was so sketchy that on the last time we drove it, we went, fuck it, we'll take it. We took us. We took 25 minutes to drive around rather than eight, because we were eight, staying 800 metres away. Oh. We took the 25-minute ride because it was, you know, less frightening. Yeah. <laughs> run the gauntlet of doing that. Oh, man. It was basically like, I don't know. Rice Paddy Road. Um, yeah, I'm sure you've done it heaps, but, you know, it was like trying to run, ride a skateboard down the middle of um, Gimby Road if there was no medium strip in peak hour traffic and cars flying each direction of you at 80 kilometres an hour with a drop five feet to one side into a rice paddy. Oh, man. It's just crazy. It is. I can't believe that I have managed to drive that as many times as I have with as many drinks as I have a few times um, without just falling. Like, it's, it's, it's meant... You're meant to fall. You're not meant to get over to the other side successfully. Uh, well, we did. Yeah. Uh, and I had one around. Luckily, I've ridden, I've done a lot of bicycle riding. So oh, right. Enough of just like, look where you want to go. Just look where you want to go and you'll go there. Yeah. And so I, I knew enough of that. Don't, if you look at the car, you'll go into the car. Just look at the six inches between the wing mirror of the truck coming at you and <laughs> the precipice into the rice paddy and you'll be fine. <laughs> we were. So, do it again. oh yeah, no, it's crazy. I think you, you do it once and then you're like, right, that was a thrill and I'm happy I did that. I don't probably need to do that again, but you're right. It catches you because it's like, it's maybe two, three, four minutes to the other side or so you can risk your life or you can go half an hour around the other way. So it's like, I'm struggling away at these half here. <laughs> In the end, I chose the half hour. Good. Good. You've done well. You've done well. Yeah. No, you're right, though. In terms of what you were talking about with the responsibility, I actually um, ended up getting a drunk tattoo just on the on the forearm here. And uh, I'm very proud of it because it was one that uh, Siobhan and I had wanted to do for a while. But it's crazy what you can get away with there. They, it was it was honestly, man, it was like 20 bucks and they were feeding us shots of whiskey, five, six, seven you, when you're in that mindset and you can put any music on as well, you can just, I'm only talking about tattoos. I've, I've got a few, so I'm very well inclined to, to think like this, but you, you just set up to, everything's just this big buzz of dopamine and you're just kind of like, oh God, what can I do here? Things are dirt cheap. I can get away with murder. You know, the, 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 you know, the cops don't care. It can get pretty crazy. Well, yeah, the, the flip side of all that is that, well, any any community where law enforcement can be bought is, uh, yeah, there's a level of dodginess, <laughs> dodginess around there. Things can get loose. It's true. Um, as long as you stay on the right side of that, you're okay. But if you stay get on the wrong side of that, you are toast. Mm, absolutely. You're, you're absolutely toast. Um, and, yeah, you know, I... I when I lived at South Bondi uh, with my family, there was a this real horrible thing happened. There was a, an American kid out here. He was a good-looking fellow, like a lacrosse player or something. It was quite fit mm. and quite a real on him. And he decided to go swimming in this massive swell. I don't know why, but he jumped off rocks into this huge swell. I think he, they saw him dive under one wave, and then he was okay, and then he vanished. But oh. for three straight days, uh, the, the Westpac rescue helicopter 
hovered in front of our house for about 45 minutes to an hour at a time, three times a day, searching for his body for three straight days. It's crazy. And, well, part of me is like, I'm pretty grateful that we live in a country where they will spend, helicopters aren't cheap. Yeah. Um, but True. they'll spend that much money and that much time and allocating a resource to a person who came to our country, not even a, a native of our country, uh, to search for him. Um, I don't know if they ever found him, but in Indonesia and Bali, it'd be like, bad luck. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, and if I have had the misfortune to have had to spend a night in, um, or at least some time in the emergency room mm. at the hospital there in Denpasar. Oh, yeah. And you don't want, you don't want to have that kind of desperation because there's that there really is very very little primary care as far as healthcare goes. So I guess it's a balance, you know. Mm. Do you want to be able to get do you want to get away with you know having your own self will run your life? Or do you want to accept a bunch of rules and regulations but know that if your house is on fire, you can dial three numbers into a telephone that is connected to uh, you know another house, and someone will drive a five million dollar piece of firefighting equipment over with twelve highly trained people to put that fire out and save your own family. <laughs> Bit of a trade-off sometimes. It's true. And you know what? I think this is the beautiful thing about travel is that you you have a change in perspective and you can reflect. And ref- you can only grow through reflection, really. And you, you get to reflect and you get to look at all the things in your life back home physically, really, as well as psychologically. And you can see, okay, this is the thing I really love. And for you and I, so this is the thing I really love about Australia. These are things that I would change about myself. And I'm the exact same as you. <clears throat> I mean... Australia, we're just so blessed, so blessed, you know, to to have grown up in that way. What I would change is probably the responsibility to take on myself to take more responsibility, you know. But it's 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 that's all they have in in Bali. And the opportunity to 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 really get out of that area. I met a I met a, a little a little lady who was um, who did our laundry. She was lovely. She was very little, very. She wouldn't have been more than five foot, and um, you know, just just paying her the amount that we did that she would ask for it was two dollars australian for a huge heap of laundry and you you think about how much the business has to make for that to be you know making some sort of money for it and then how much then she would get paid for it she'll never see at least as far as i can tell outside of that little area of 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 bali of of changu it's on the border of seminyak and she was the happiest thing in the world and it, it really confused me for a long time but her responsibility was in doing the best job she could at that at that laundromat it was amazing yeah i i had a it, it is you know we sound like a couple of privileged white guys <laughs> yeah oh you know mate have a ten dollar note <laughs> I, you know, I've started. I'm, you know, I, I, I question. I, obviously, I'm, you know, got someone who got brought up with materialism as, as you know, the religion and the doctrine. That's, mm. that's where we are as a society in, in uh, modern Westernized culture. And uh, when I lived in America, that was definitely, definitely the case. Mm. And, um, you know, I think sometimes, to what does it bring me happiness? The answer is no. Mm. Um, do I want to, you know, purchase things that bring me happiness? I don't know. <laughs> what brings me happiness? I guess things that bring me utility. Yeah. Bring me happiness. That's kind of it. Uh, as far as, you know, I'm not, I'm not hanging out to buy a certain kind of watch. I'm mm. not 
hanging out to buy a particular kind of sunglasses. Um, I used to be. Mm. Uh, I'm not. I'm not anymore. And uh, I don't know if we as a culture have got it a hundred percent right as far as the whole buying things will make it better promise which uh you know i'm not going to pan around the room here but (laughs) and just to the left of me there's this massive pile uh, because i'm mid marie Kondo of my um my office i'm I'm mid i'm looking for things that spark joy oh yeah uh, let me tell you you know there's a bunch of shit that i didn't need to buy um that has uh, followed me around from house to house and you know, I think about well, those raw materials, uh, you know, the, the the energy that went into producing those things. Really, <laughs> oh, I know. What are they going to do now? Are they going to be landfill? I don't know. It's, um, yeah, I don't know if we've got it right. You know, people like, uh, we're caught, I think, in our culture, the, you know, to somewhere between wanting what your lady that did your laundry has mm. and, you know, trying to get it by buying shit totally well and i don't know i don't know if we've got it right i i think i went i went down this road um really quite aggressively um in moving to bali because i'd i'd lost um my identity and i'd lost i'd struggled with um mental health and can't wait to get into it obviously um before that and then i came out of that and um, was like, right, I really want to help everyone and I want to, you know, rid the world of anxiety and I want to change the global perspective. And then I moved away from competitive sport with CrossFit and football for me and then um, wanting to do that stuff, which is what was the mind made essentially. It wasn't just the podcast. And I moved away from Bali and again, through reflection, I, w- I was looking back and I was like, wow, I-, I was the same person. I thought I'd changed, you know, but I was, I was only going to be happy when, you know, for AFL or only going to be happy when, you know, ridden the world of anxiety. I moved away from that and I was like, you know, you don't have to do anything. And what came of it was a bit of an existential crisis, you know, because it was, I, I essentially came to see that I was identifying myself through the external world. And I, I didn't know, um, not that I essentially believe that you always have an identity, everything changes in this universe. But um, I'd moved away from that and had to really go inward because there was a lot of still, there's lots of stuff that was still bubbling below the surface. You know, my OCD wasn't entirely perfect then. My, I still was having a panic attack every now and then, although I was just more comfortable talking about it, you know. Um, but you're exactly right, man. It's, um, it's, it's how you feel on the inside when, when no one's there. I mean, can you sit, can you sit in a room just by yourself and, and be happy, you know? Or do, do you need things outside of yourself to, to, to validate those holes? Yeah, and at the end of the day, you can't, you can't take any of it with you, man. Mm. None of us is going to get out of this alive, and you can't take any of that stuff with you. So, um, yeah, finding... Uh, finding the I don't know if happiness I was talking to someone about this the other day there's happiness and there's you know contentment Mm. Um, happiness happiness can be you know fleeting but you know lasting happiness I I think what's more sustainable for for me I think is is contentment and finding and I'm I'm quite content with this Mm. trying to hold that peak Oh, I'm so happy. Trying to hold that peak is quite difficult. Um, 
just trying to be content with your day and what you've got and you know that that might be a more of a more of something to aim for mm. um you know the path the path of that is you know i guess you know an effective path of that is, is in helping others and that's mm. that's pretty much that's pretty much uh, pretty much it buying stuff doesn't really last very long mm. And you, I imagine you'd learn. I've never struggled with addiction before, but I'm sure you would have learnt that um, that idea about contentment because you know that that moving to and yours was out with with alcohol from from what I understand. But um, stealing the happiness of tomorrow was a good friend of mine used to say. And being on such a high, or more or less, it was depressant. But then feeling that extreme low at the same time. If you find that contentment, you find essentially what the Taoists were talking about, really, isn't it? With the, with the, with that balance motive. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, the al- alcohol was a, you know, I, I'm not a special snowflake, unfortunately. I, I dealt <laughs> with my anxiety in the same way that many men deal with their anxiety in my country um, through alcohol, mm-hmm. and um, you know, for a while it worked, and. After a while, though, the amount that I needed to feel anywhere near normal or accepted or okay, it just became unsustainable. Mm. And um, uh, I, I, the way I describe it is that I, um, I guess a way, to, a way to describe it that would, if someone, no one's ever had a problem with addiction, um, is that I, in the same way that some people have an allergy to peanuts. And even the tiniest bit can stop them breathing. Um, I have an allergy to alcohol, and that the tiniest bit changes my brain and changes my decision making process, mm. and I'm no longer in charge of um, my choices. Mm. And I, I, it triggers a. I have an allergic reaction. I guess that's the best way to describe it. I I, I, I start to change. My personality starts to change, and um, things that I would otherwise not be into or want to do suddenly become great great ideas. And mm. that <laughs> Good point. Started to become quite a problem. Yeah, um, yeah. Started to become quite a problem. Yeah. So it's you know, like if you've got a peanut allergy, you just avoid peanuts. Yeah. Um, I avoid alcohol. Yeah. Do you know what's interesting about it though? <clears throat> Is like you. I guess you've seen the extremes of what an addiction um, can can lead to, you know. But I think, I mean, alluding to what we were talking about before with, with having to buy something or that material world, I think a lot of us may not know the lesser degree of the way addiction plays on our on our, on our our minds and the way we, we do things, you know. Um, there, I, was, I was reading so much about this with... with the um, neurochemistry behind addiction and, and the differences between dopamine and serotonin. <clears throat> Excuse me. And even just that little feeling of excitement, you know, it's just like a little kind of thing like, oh, and it, it changes your decision making a little bit. And I reckon that a lot of us would find that on the very, very, very lower levels, deeper levels of our psyche, there are things that we hold on to that are not entirely within our own minds and you don't necessarily have to call that an addiction because you know it's not like it's ruining your life or it's or it's really causing some sort of negative impact but um we can be wired like that and it's i think it's really important to be aware of those things yeah that's part of being i guess mindful and 
and learning to uh, question automatic beliefs mm. and automatic beliefs. That's a that's a big part of uh, what I've you know what I've found. Um, you know, it, certainly when it comes to getting triggered or something like that. Um, not triggered like the internet talks about triggered. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, you can't fucking can't handle someone challenging this political. <laughs> triggered. Like, Dude, no, I am offended right now. <laughs> That's that's not it. Yeah. Um, that's a what? That's a what right now? I am offended. <laughs> I'm so offended. How dare you offend Just me? Kill me. I'm gonna finish this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, no uh, trigger like a trauma trigger. Totally. Um, so when that shows up, and my body remembers, you know, and my body then reacts, knowing that. Oh, this is just a feeling in my body. It's not actually real. Mm. Even though the first time you felt it, it was an actual reaction to an actual thing. Feeling it now, you're like, oh, it's just my body. It's just a bunch of nerves sending, you know, information to a muscle in my stomach to tense up. That's all it is. It's yeah. not. It's not evidence that what I'm thinking in my head is actually happening. It's not. And learning to question those thoughts is important. Mm. And, uh, it helps you identify the ones that are perhaps distorted or false and helps you replace them with more rational versions of, of, of what it is you're, you're perceiving. Um, and that just comes from being mindful. That just comes from looking for the space between the breaths and checking your own body and seeing, what's going on here? What's that react? Is that a signal? Is that a signal that something's not right? Mm. Oh, it might be. What's up? Oh, that thing. Oh, that's right. Oh, <laughs> The person that I'm having a meeting with is wearing the same person, same perfume as the yeah. that I used to have. As I am. Ah, ah, that's what it is. Yes. Right. Of course. Of course, I feel tense and weird. Mm. My body's remembering that shit. So, being aware of that stuff is important. Definitely. And how much do you think? I heard you speak about the, the idea that um, um, a lot of the, I guess, prerequisites for. Um, an anxiety, not necessarily disorder, but that that higher degree of anxiety came from with what your parents had to go through. Did you go back when you when you and this is this comes from obviously a, a massive degree of responsibility and actually taking the bottle away and being like, right, I have to deal with what's going on that I'm trying to escape from here. When you started to go into the anxiety disorder, how much of it was predicated upon um, you know what your parents had to deal with? I think from what, as far as I can tell and as far as the research that I've read, um, some of it's genetic right? and some of it's, you know, some of it's what you got born with, some of it's, you know, the, the wiring you got and some of it is your environment mm. where you're living. Um, for some people, those ratios are 50-50, for some people, those ratios are 90-20, uh, 90-10. Yeah. Um, so I think I think up to, as far as I'm aware, I think like up to half can be, you know, how you get born. Mm. Um, you know, I, I know I was always a jumpy kid. This was. Mm. Um, but it's then what gets done with that. You know, you can be a jumpy kid and have a very super stable life and never have any trauma and learn how to control your your nervous system responses and, you know, have some emotional regulation skills up your sleeve and then you have a pretty great time. Uh, or if you do it with your me, you, uh, <laughs> you just kind of run with that stuff and, uh, you know, jump in spiders and um, get into a high, 
more and more heightened levels of, of anxiety over not much. Mm. And um, yeah, and then search for ways to try and calm that, uh, which is what I was doing. So yeah, life is very different now, but um, I would say that you know you're particularly referring to both my parents at one point were were refugees, and mm. there was definitely trauma around that about displacement and things like that. My mum, mm. when she was quite young, and my dad. Um, in his mid early twenties, and um, I've learned that if you have a, and this is scientifically proven, though, it's told to me by a psychologist who's very, very well versed in this, that if there is, if you have untreated trauma, um, that can affect your affect you on a DNA level, and you can you can pass that on to your kids. Mm. Um, so it's well worth getting your trauma sorted out, because um, you know you want your Everybody wants their kids to be happy and healthy, and they'll probably look half like you. But the, you know, the genetic similarities don't end there. You know, the way you're wired is passed on, as mm. far as I can tell. It's you know at least half, anyway. And so, get your trauma sorted out. Get it done because it causes changes in your DNA that you'll pass on. So yeah. not for you, for many kids you plan on having. So true. It's so true. And there's so much wisdom to be gained about yourself um, by going inward, you know? Do you have a practice for that that allows you just to maintain that connection between mind and body and, and who you are on the inside? I, I try to, I try to I try to get a meditation in every day and I, and I try to do a bit of reflection afterwards. Um, it's either in meditation or with journaling mm. that I um, just write stuff down and, and it, that's usually the easiest way to get to what's actually going on. <laughs> And uh, why do I feel like that? Why am I cranky when this sort of thing comes up? Why is it that I always have a hard time? And I guess the other part of that is is listening to people that know me better than myself, so mm. namely my wife. Yes. Um, like my wife noticed a certain pattern of behavior that I have, which uh, um, I found really interesting, actually. She's, um, she said, like, if you're in control, if you're the one that initiates the contact with the person you've not met yet, you have a, you're absolutely comfortable and calm about having a conversation. Um, however, if you're just standing there and someone comes up to you, if you're not the one in control, if you don't initiate it, she said you shrink away like a you know like a turtle into a shell. Really? Damn, you're right. Yeah, if I'm not the one that initiates the conversation, uh, you know it's not okay with me. So, How was it when um, I came up to you? <laughs> was it alright? I beg your pardon. How was it when I approached you on in in Bali? <laughs> Um, uh, it was actually okay because you had a different energy. Okay, good, good. Because you were mid-workout or something. You were, um, (laughs) you had a gym upstairs, I think, and you had a different energy about you. So, and plus I was with Audrey. True, good point. Um, and... I think she just spent two days telling me, just for fuck's sake, just people are excited to see you. Say hello to them. Yeah, right. Yeah, and so I think that day I've been like, hi, people <laughs> who had, you know, recognized me. I'm lucky that I have a job where people recognize me and I get to meet people from all different walks of life and all mm. parts of the world that I would never, you know, otherwise meet. Um, and so I think it was the end of one of those days where I've been, you know, trying to work on that as a, oh, hello, nice to see you. You know, what are you doing here? Oh, that's fascinating. You know, trying to, trying to pretend that I was the one in control of the situation. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, well, it, the uh, full disclosure was that um, my mate who was running, he came back up um, into the gym and he said, oh, Osh is downstairs. And I was like, fuck. And I literally said, fuck, I love that dude. And I just walked downstairs and um, I saw you, but you were mid-conversation with Audrey. So I did the classic, like when Abe Simpson walks into that um, brothel and then he just quickly walks back out again. So I just walked straight past. And I was like, oh, I missed my shot there. I'll pretend like I'm looking over at the sun or something. And then when I, was, when I turn around, I'll be like, oh, gosh, there he is. And I just, not, just nonchalant killed it. <laughs> It's a classic. It's a classic move. The Simpsons are very good at that. Oh. Most people haven't seen it. Basically, Bart is running a brothel, yeah. and um, and he walks in, puts his hat on the hat stand like he's done for the last fifty years. Sees Bart, turns straight around, takes his hat off the hat stand, doesn't actually walk straight back out the door. And I think uh, you probably only find it in a gif, but if you actually see it, he he actually goes hello, yeah, goodbye. Whoop. He gives it one of those. I know. Oh man, I, I, I wanted to do a Simpsons podcast where like for some way the guest on the show could just respond to me in Simpsons quotes. It would be unbelievable. Uh, oh man, I've missed about eight years of it. I know. But it was the golden era when, I mean, I, I'm, I'm 25, but I was watching um, from, you know, from the early 90s up to the, to the late 90s. That was the era that I'm talking about. Well, it's golden era for you, but yeah, for True. some people who are, you know, who are 20 now, they'll call the last 10 years their golden era. So whatever true. era is the one that you're got your full attention for. That's the, like, that's the best music that ever lived. It's True. the music that was a soundtrack to the formative moments of your life. Of course, people think, oh, no, no, man, <laughs> mid-2000s emo, that's yeah. Yeah. Um, And that's wild, you know, because in probably 10 years from now, like WSFM or your local gold radio station, 92 Gold or whatever it is near you, um, we'll be playing Panic at the Disco. Yeah. You know, and we'll be playing Dashboard Confessional. Right now they're playing uh, John Farnham and uh, REO Speedwagon. Yeah. So in 15 years they'll be playing Dashboard Confessional and people will be like, that's right, yeah. Dad, I remember this. <laughs> Whatever, whatever music was the music that was playing when you were going through those formative years of like those kind of breakthrough events, first party, first kiss, first sex, first drive, first holiday without your parents. Those are the songs that, you know, when they come on the radio when you're 40, you go, fuck yeah, now this is music. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not. It's just a trigger to a great memory, but that's what it is. It's so true. It is so true. And... um well, yeah, no, you're exactly right. It just triggers that emotional response. And you're like, oh, God. Sometimes, um, I remember my cousin was telling me once that um, he, what's that song by the presets? Oh, oh, do, 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 do. Oh, was it My People? My People. And he said to me, the bizarre, I think he said it was like 17 or something, but he was like, oh, turn that down when it came on the radio. And I was like, oh, why? And he's like, oh, mate. It's a weird one, but um, whenever I hear this song, I was, um, you know, I was spending some time with myself, so to speak, just in uh, just in my room, and um, it came on. My dad was playing it on the radio, and it came on, and um, he started calling out to me, and it just kind of ruined the whole moment. <laughs> I was like, right now, now when I think of it, I think of him bloody having a crack. <laughs> Boy, howdy! I know yeah. it wasn't good. <laughs> So now I hope that you start thinking about that too. <laughs> Tom's got a cousin that... Well, that, 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 that's the thing, man. Is like I'd gotten out of music television and pretty much left the country by the time the presets started having massive hits. So True. 
I wouldn't recognise the song if it came on the radio. Oh, which good. Was heavy for me for someone who was so, you know, deep into music for so long, for so long. Mm. Um, yeah, very good. Fifteen years or more. That was just all that I did. All that I did. Mm. Um, yeah. So, what was it like when uh, when you got the role? For, uh, for Australian Idol to be the host. I mean, I grew up with it. You know, season one was massive. And um, I don't know. For, for me, it sounds incredibly... Brave is a subjective thing, you know, and staring down the camera, speaking to that many people um, live, you know, it's um, it sounds very daunting. Like, well, just run us through that. Well, the, the thing about... So you're talking about a show called Australian Idol, which is like American Idol. Yeah. When you buy, uh, when a TV network buys a format, they're essentially buying a franchise. Like, say, for example, if right now in provincial France where you are, mm-hmm. you decided to put a McDonald's in there, buy a McDonald's, um, why would you do that? Because you know it's a business that works. You know there's great support from the people that designed it. You've got proven figures and numbers and a proven supply chain. Um, they'll send you, when you buy it, they'll send you the recipes, they'll send you the logos, they'll send you the operation manual, they'll send you exactly how to run it. All you have to do is follow the footsteps and boom, that's your business, okay? So similarly, when you buy a format, you're buying a franchise, all right? So they give you the logos, they give you the music, they give you the format, it all comes in this massive big thick ring binder called the Bible, um, which tells you, you know, here's what episode one looks like, or like say for example, we were gonna make, um, you know, the the first time they made Love Island in Australia, or the first time they made Married at First Sight in Australia, there's a Bible that comes with that, and it says, so when you're casting, you need, you know, we've, you know, it's worked in most, some countries choose 15, some countries choose 22, we've found the best number is 18 people. Right. And the best amount, you know, so there's no boys, no girls, uh, we find it best if there's this many baddies, this many goodies, and this many, you know, whatever. And wow. So all that stuff is in this Bible. So wow. anyway, the Australian Idol uh, show was based upon the British format called Pop Idol. And the original format had two hosts, Ant and Deck, who are superstars of uh, hosting and television in America, in uh, the UK. They were originally actors on a soap opera called Bike and Grove, and then they worked together, and um, they're, they're lovely, lovely, lovely guys. And um, so they were looking, the original version of American Idol had two hosts, because that's what they bought. They mm. wanted to replicate, because you basically want to go, okay, this worked in that market, let's just do it exactly the same, because that's what worked. And, you know, quickly, his name was Brian Dunkelman. Um, Good name. Dunkelman didn't make season two. Seacrest <laughs> took it out. Um, but with our season, they were looking for, you know, a two-header. Mm. And they, James Matheson and I were working on a music television format called Channel V, which is a cable TV channel. And we were working on Channel V at the time. And so we, you know, we were two guys that were used to live TV. And um, at the time, Channel V was just... We were flying around the world doing reports from backstage at the biggest festivals on the planet with all access all areas passes around our necks. You yeah. know? And I was, well, I don't know, I was 28. Mm. And Jimmy was 25, 24. It was just extraordinary, right? And so then we, we got approached to do this <clears> gig and we had known like how massive a success Idol had been both in the UK and America. So, of course, we know it's going to be a big show. 100%. And... Um, what was interesting is that 
we had for the last few years at Channel V been doing all we did was live TV mm. and we were because we were cable we were kind of looked down upon from the in tenured TV people at the time because right. you know we were playing in our little cable box playground but it's not real television right but you know we were making 20 not 3 we were making 15 hours of live TV a week Jeez. you know we, you don't get to do you know one live cross a year if you're lucky you're yeah. TV. we were doing 15 <clears throat> hours of it every week we were, all we did was live that's crazy so it was I remember one of the producers came and said, so we're going to go live okay so that means if you get it wrong you you can't do it again okay? <laughs> Like, yeah, we've just come off tour with Channel V doing a show every afternoon for two hours on yeah. a satellite dish in front of 800 to 2,000 people every day. <laughs> we'll be all right, mate. Yeah. Um, I had a fair amount of arrogance at the time um, around that. And I, you know, I remember kind of in no uncertain terms going, did you have any idea what we've done for the yeah. last five years? Um, but they had it. They had. They were busy making their shows, their sixty-minute shows, and the you know network television shows. They didn't know what we were doing. Um, needless to say, that when we went live, everyone was very happy because we could do it. True. Because you know, we'd had a shitload of practice. And um, what, what can I say, man? I think the research eventually showed out that um, three out of four people watched the first grand final of Australian Idol in Australia. It's unbelievable. That is a, to be a part of a cultural moment like that is extraordinary mm. to have been, you know, and it was a great honor. We worked with incredible people. I learned enormous amounts about how terrible I was and how better I could get. Um, I got to work with the funniest, smartest man I've ever worked with every day, James Matheson. Um, I was very, very, very lucky. And to be, like I said, to be a part of a, a cornerstone of popular culture like that is extraordinary honor. Um, I did a gig down in Canberra the other day with the National Gallery and someone works at the National Film and Sound Archive that came up to me and said, I put your Opera House Grand Final from 2003 in the archive in the vault the other day. Wow. Like, whoa, we're in the vault. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's deemed historical of historical significance, I guess. Um, and then, you know, like, and now we're coming into our seventh season of The Bachelor. To, to get seven seasons of a show, we did seven on, on Idol. To get seven seasons of a show is incredible. Some people don't get seven episodes, right? Mm. To have done that twice, man, I, I still can't figure out what I'm doing that has allowed me to have this, but... I'll work very, very hard, as hard as I can to keep it. Dude, look, honestly, you know, there's enough there to be like, okay, you know, Osh is a dependent variable in that. But, I mean, you just, you're a good dude. Like, it's 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 pretty pretty obvious on my part. There's, I mean, I don't know what's behind closed doors. You could be uh, could be a murderer, in which case we'll, uh, we'll dive into that later. <laughs> but, Not unless yeah. I've done something that I can't remember. Yeah, very true, yeah. No, but you're just a good dude. Like, it's, um, yeah, it seems pretty, pretty straight and narrow. I think that's, you know, I, I've been working in the broadcasting now for 25 years and um, my kid was asking me this the other day, uh, we were watching some show and, you know, someone was being a prima donna and she goes, you know anyone who is like that? And I said, if they if there are, they don't, they're not around for long. Mm. Very know, true. You're going to have to be so good at what you do that 
people will put up with your shit. Mm. But there's maybe two people in Australian broadcasting that get away with it mm. um, because of the amount of money they bring in. Right. Um, everyone else, like, if you're not a good hang, if you're not okay to be around, eventually they'll find someone else to do it because people don't want to go to work with that energy. It's like any workplace. Mm. It's like any workplace. If you know, if if Jeff in accounts is just a prick to everybody, he is. Like eventually, eventually, it's like, you know, Jeff, um, we've we've decided to restructure. And <laughs> <laughs> your job's no longer required. Yeah. Like, what was it? Something I said. <laughs> and so, no, it's just like. You know, the fact that everybody wants to be at a desk as far away from you as possible might have something to do with it, Jeff. So true. So, Osh, in terms of, I was watching um, an interview that you were you were talking about your book. So we'll move on to that, um, the book just quickly again. And um, you were saying how important taking care of yourself is. And it's amazing for me. I mean, it's not necessarily amazing because it's something that I only found um, with going through the same thing with OCD being probably the biggest contributor to it and, and anxiety, but just how much better your life can be when you you get up every 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 morning when the alarm goes off, you 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 take care of your exercise, you know you, you sorry excuse me you exercise a lot, you eat healthily, and you have a you have a purpose and you take care of your mind as well. How much of your mental health was bettered, I guess, by those simple tricks. Because a lot of people feel like when they're when they're in the shit that it's just them and we all we know the neurology behind it, that it's just them and and that they've tried all those things and nothing nothing's gonna help them. Um I would say that you know and I, I can I can say this because I've done it. Um in the same way that you don't accidentally appear on the front cover of Men's Health magazine, you don't accidentally or just by itself have um, great mental health if you've shown that, you know, you need to put a little extra work in. Right? Mm. It takes it takes work, but it's worth it. Um, I'm, I was on meds for a long time. Um, many many years and all kinds of meds at one point apparently all of them mm. um, and I'm currently not on meds but there's a very big difference between not taking your meds and not needing to take your meds and to keep not needing to take my meds there's some things that I need to do every day in the same way that I don't know someone who's diabetic um, needs to be aware of everything. I only recently got diagnosed celiac, so I need oh. to be aware of what I'm eating so mm. I don't get cancer of the duodenum, right? Um, you know, it's just something that you need to do. And if you've got a brain that, you know, is a little, uh, you know, has a penchant for wanting to run away with itself every now and again, there's some things that you can do every day that will improve that. Mm. Um, and you know, those things um, can be, you know, multitudinous, but at the least, you know, if you're not feeling valued, if you're not feeling that you have meaning, if you're not feeling that you matter to somebody, if you're not feeling your work, work has purpose, if you're not feeling safe, um, those things are all gonna impact your mental well-being quite extraordinarily. And mm. these, hopefully, unless you're in a war zone, you can do some things about that. 
Um, you can do things about how, you know, do you feel valued? Can you find a way to be of value to somebody? Yes, um, yes. Can you, uh, you know, do you feel you're worthy? Can you find worthiness within yourself? Um, do you feel that your, your work has meaning? Um, if you can't find a job that has meaning for you, for example, your friend who does your laundry, her, her work has extraordinary meaning to mm. her. Um, can you, you know, think about the way you think about your work? Like you might, I don't know, it's a, it's a, it's a job that I can't live without. It's a job that somebody does, and it's a job that someone pays their wages with, pays their, you know, puts food in their kids' mouths with. Like, say, you could be a, a, a cashier at the supermarket, right? Mm. And you might just sit there going, "Boop, I hate my life. Boop, I hate my life. Boop, I hate my life." Or you could go, "Look at this. I'm helping every one of these people feed their families. I'm helping this person make healthy choices about their. This might be the first day of their health kick, and I'm here to make sure that they have a great time and they're on their way. This is extraordinary. I'm helping these people have worked hard to make this money, and with yeah. this money, they're turning it into food, and that food is going to sustain them through, you know, being there for their families and making sure their kids have a great day." All right, that's what that job can be if you want it. Mm. You've got to actively think about it that way. Mm. Um, so there, those are some things, but there's also things that you can do um, internally to make sure that you're going to get the, the best chance. Uh, oh, yeah, and if you're not feeling safe, then find a way to feel safe. True. Um, and that might mean thinking about your relationship, thinking about where you live, um, you know, finding maybe ways around that if you can, if you're able to. Um, and there's also things that you can do every day, you know, moving your body has an incredibly positive effect on on your on your well-being. Um, there's research out there that weighs it up against antidepressants. I would recommend you go and search that out. Um, you know, stimulating the dopamine, serotonin, and norepinephrine in your body by working out. I prefer to do some in the morning. Um, it's easier for me to lift heavy, and in lifting heavy, I feel better. Mm. So I used to just ride bikes, but then I now lift things. Um, and you know, being mindful of 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 your thoughts, and like we were talking about before, you know, not necessarily necessarily questioning every thought, but just being aware of being able to be an observance of the thoughts and just check them, just double check them. And sometimes I go offshore. I go, hey, honey, you know that thing that I said to that person, did they react funny or am I thinking that? She goes, you're thinking that. So I like, okay. And that way I kind of know. Sometimes mm. I have a hard time telling. Um, but yeah, I write a gratitude list every day. I, I write down all the things that are swirling around in my brain, whatever I might be fearful of. I write it down every day. I challenge those things hand, you know, with my hand, with a piece of paper and a pen. Um, I challenge those things if I need to. I write down, uh, you know, what I see for myself and, you know, what I like to get done in that day, what I did good in the last 24 hours, what I like to do better in the next 24. You know, all these things I do every day. And sometimes I have to get up quite early to get it done. But um, when I don't do it, I miss it. Mm. Oh, the other thing, the other thing that I think is really, really, really important is prioritizing sleep. Mm. Um, I've done my fair share of field testing on how drugs can make you feel good or bad and I would like to say that categorically nothing feels as good as eight hours it's true. eight hours of sleep man oh yeah that's the one yep that's the one eight hours of sleep with a bit so, of toast uh, <laughs> that's the that's the one so prioritizing sleep can go so far to improving how you feel through your day and look if that's what you need to do to get by then 
that's it. You might yep. then only have 23 other hours that you've got to get your shit done with. But the life you get to live because you are so deliberate and have that discipline just puts multiples of effectiveness and satisfaction mm. on top of what you would have had otherwise. And I can only say that from, well, from my experience, that's what's happened. Yeah, it's great. And I think, I think it comes down to the ability to recognize that you are an individual that has needs, but could also potentially cultivate dreams as well. You know, we we live in a world now, um, this is something that Viktor Frankl spoke a lot about, where, you know, the need to to survive all the time has essentially been, you know, the very least in the Western world, has been eradicated completely where, you know, I say this all the time, but the um, the worst thing that we have to deal with is is poor Wi-Fi, you know. And for our grandparents to 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 even be able to conceptualize Wi-Fi is just beyond any form of idea that they could think of, you know. But we live in that world, and it's all it's a great world. It's I'm so appreciative to to be alive in this day and age, you know. But then there's all this stimulus all the time that's telling us to do this and be more and better and junk values and, and all sorts of things that when we finally do move away from all that, it's only it's only a few times if you don't prioritize it that you begin to actually recognize again, oh shit, I'm a person and that's right. I, I had a dream that I wanted to be like a fireman when I was younger and you know, creating a vision for yourself and looking forward to tomorrow as opposed to constantly ruminating in your head about all the things that happened and you know, shit that you couldn't control is, is so important, you know? It's just having that, having a vision. Yeah. I would absolutely, I would absolutely agree. Um, uh, Victor Frankl actually, there's many things in that book that he wrote, Man's Search for Meaning, that um, really stood out for me. And mm. I, I think the, the there's two that are really powerful. Number one is, um, you know, it's how you the, the the greatest power we have as humans is how we choose to think about things. Mm. Um, having had a brain that got quite sick and I wasn't able to make that choice, being able to do it again is, uh, yeah, it's, it's fabulous. Um, the other thing that he said, which is really good, I think he was quoting his grandmother, um, that there is no such thing as good or bad weather. There, oh, no, there is, no, there is no such thing as bad weather, only inappropriate choice of clothing. <laughs> uh, and I thought that's, you know... That's some deep wisdom, right? Yeah. And I've heard it. I've heard it prophesized that there's there's no such thing as bad surf, only inappropriate choice of surf craft. Oh, very good. Yes. Also a very very good one. That'll be the that'll be the takeaway. The surf is the surf. The surf. The waves are doing what the waves are doing. All right. What you choose to go out in them, or if you choose to go out in them, that's what makes it good or bad. Mm. You could, you know, if it's not just like a perfectly peeling left-hand stand bottom bank with nobody on it, yeah. or it could be a junky onshore, you know, crumbly swell. But if you've got a surf net, you're going to have the best day ever. So yeah. true. It's all about. It was Dave Rastovich that told me that. It was very funny, man. Reminds me of a uh, of a, a Buddhist story where there's like an old farmer and and he you know he's working there and um, one night his his horse runs away and a couple of people come up to him and they say oh you know you must be te- terribly depressed you know your horse ran away and he says oh good bad who knows then the next day the horse runs um, back to the farm with twenty other horses and they're like oh my god that the horse brought back all these friends now you have all this all these horses to work with you know it's amazing luck and he said ah oh, good bad who knows 
And then the next day, his son jumps on one of the horses. And when he's riding, he, he breaks his leg, falls off the horse. And the uh, the people come up to him again, all the all the worried other farmers, and they say, "I can't believe it! You you know you're that all those horses. One of them, you 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 know your son jumped on and he, and he broke his leg. You, you, I mean that's terrible." And he said, ah, "Good, bad, who knows?" The next day, the uh, you know the the the, the army um, people come along that want to conscript the son, and um, they choose not to because he has a broken leg. And it's just a really great idea that you never know how things are going to play out when they play out. And the better we can get at just finding the stillness within ourselves, the easier, we're gonna live a better life. You know, we really are. I would I would agree with you, Tom. I would agree with you, but that stillness does take work to get to. It does. Um, yeah, I was, I some guy, there's a guy I'm working with that's helping me with my meditation at the moment um, because every player needs a coach. Mm. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I struggle with that too. Yeah, it took me about six years to get to, you know, <laughs> far out, okay. All right, We're it's going to take six years. It's going to take six years. Uh, that's what I'm going to need to do. I'm going to have to get going, I'm afraid, I'm afraid Tom. Dude. Is, there, is there anything else you needed to cover off? Just wanted to say... Um where can people find you and um, any way we can uh, get to your book and all that sort of stuff? Give us the rundown. Oh, look. Oh, it's super easy, man. It's all at the website, oshaginsberg.com. Perfect. That's Put it. it. That's where you'll find the Instagram, the Twitter, the buy the book, listen to the podcast, listen to yes. the songs that I make my coffee to. Um, it's all there. Awesome. I'll put it up. I'll make sure it's in the links. I make coffee in the morning. I play a song when I make my coffee and... There's a playlist that's the most out of that. I, I think it's okay. Oh, nice. What's um? What's your go-to coffee? Black coffee? Or? Oh, yeah, man. Double espresso. Good, good. I'm not here to fuck spot. No, that's right. I was, but uh, now it's awkward because we ended up doing a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. Cool. Thanks uh, so much, dude. Good, good, good to talk to you. Um, au revoir. Take yes. Care, man. Let me know how you go, all right? Yeah, we will do, man. All right. Bye.